Hi, I'm Chuck Fletcher. Hi, my name is Olivia Young, coach of the Flyers. Hey, I'm Travis Konechny. Hey, this is Jeremy Roenick. Hi, this is Travis Sanon. Hi, I'm Paul Hogan. Hey, I'm Scott Lawton. Hi, I'm Joel Fairby. Hi, this is Bob Clark. And you're listening to Snow the Goalie. 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 Oh, no. Wait, wait a second. Wait, why am I, Anthony, doing the introduction to the to the podcast? This is a first. This is the very first time that Snow the Goalie is being recorded without Russ, without Russ doing the introduction. Here I am. It's me and, and uh, our new co-host, Chris Terrian, uh, is, is here as well. And we are going to do the podcast, just the two of us today. Russ has to miss. He's heading off to a um, uh, rehearsal dinner for a wedding, so he unfortunately couldn't be here with us today. But it just seems weird to not have him do his big, you know, wrestling introduction for the for the podcast uh, to do his, you know, his alliterative uh, podcast name and all this and that. So we're just going to skip right past that and say to heck with it. Do things kind of like old school radio here, Bundy. Me and you just talking hockey for a little bit. I'm subbing in today, brother. <laughs> oh no. <laughs> I love uh, it. It's a, good, it's a good thing you guys plucked me off the old uh, free agency shelf. Now you got somebody else. If you didn't, it'd be shit out of luck, Ant. You'd be sitting here by yourself talking to the wall with all of So happy to be here, buddy. <laughs> Thanks, pal. Appreciate it. I really do. I really do. So there's not a lot of, of new news this week. Obviously, we, we, uh, we had our debut episode with you last week, um, and we're still a week away from the start of, uh, of training camp. Um, or at least start of rookie camp, and then training camp comes up the following week. Um, so, I, I, but I, I want to just start off with like talking about that just a little bit because, you know, I, as a member of the media, you know, we go in for the the start of rookie camp and training camp, and we're just looking for stories to write, um, you know, thing angles to to come up with and kind of keep people interested in the start of the season. But it's 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 kind of like a dirty little secret that everything's already predetermined, right? I mean, these teams. We, we really know, or the, the team already knows who's going to be on the team. And we might have an idea of maybe one or two spots that we're not 100% sure about, but they pretty much know who's going to be there on opening night, barring injury, correct? They do. And, you know, and I think when you read some of the stuff, Anthony, before the camp, I mean, there's guys going in that know 1,000% they're on the team, whether they have a god-awful training camp or not. Uh, it was like that more. I mean, when I went into training camp, say 94, just give the best example I could can is my own personal experience was, you know, I went in and, and uh, they weren't sure, you know, what, what they had. And Bob Clark was taking over the regime. There was defensemen like Ryan uh, McGill, Stu, Stu Malga- uh, Malgunas, Jeff Finley. Oh, uh, yes. So, I, you know, again, they were NHL players, Jason Bowen, but I came in and that was a real true training camp that was open to make the team, right? Like guys were making, uh, far less money at that time. And my contract was, you know, next not was peanuts for, for a rookie coming in. So they didn't, it didn't matter. But when you have the guys now with the contracts they have, and you know, this going up front, I mean, guys making, you know, five, $6 million, they're on the team. You can't relocate them anywhere else unless you find right. a trade partner. That's probably going to have to equate that same number. So, yes. Yeah, so when you hear the names, um, Wade Allison, um, uh, York on defense, uh, Morgan Frost. Those are probably the only guys that even have a, a, a somewhat legitimate chance. And all the veterans are aware of that. The other guys you hear names, uh, you know, of players that they like a little bit uh, are, yeah, oh, we'll talk about him a little bit, but 
they're going to get sent back either to junior or to the minors. And that's just the way it goes. There's a numbers crunch at the end of the day. And, uh, and the veterans will stick around, especially the, the ones with the high financial uh, compensation. Um, but again, the lower salaries, I mean, if you're, you know, like you're going to have to really wow somebody as a rookie to, to impress a coach that I don't think cares much for rookies to begin with. I think he wants a veteran laden team. That's the secret too. in all this AV doesn't really want to play young guys. He doesn't. Right. You know, if he could have a load of veteran guys out there, he would. Right. Um, so then with that being said, uh, other than, you know, the situation now where you have a new head coach with the Phantoms and Ian LaPerriere really getting his first opportunity to, 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 to have a, a big say in, in training camp for these young players, what, what is there that they're looking to do? What, what are they looking to accomplish with rookie camp? Because rookie camp actually goes on for a full week before the veterans get in there and, and actually start practicing with the team. Yeah, the rookie camp is actually for those people that work in the organization that really aren't sure what their job is. So if you have like an analytics guy, he'll come in there and do some number crunching for the GM. And he's like, hey, look, I got a really interesting sheet here of some statistics that you may find fascinating. It's garbage. It's it's come on in here. Let's get you in shape before you go to your junior or your American Hockey League team. And uh, let's see how you look, because maybe we'll remember you in a couple of months. That's that's what it is. Uh, you got the, the three guys I mentioned are probably the three guys they want to see. And what they do with the rookie camp, Anthony, is they just separate the players. That's all they're doing. They're just looking for that separation of who they consider their top players and the rest of the pile. I mean, most guys that get drafted or even signed as free agents or plucked up to come in on tryouts, they're not going to make the team ever. Right. You know, so they're going to have careers, whether it's in the East Coast League or the American League, if they can stay up there. But for the most part, there's only two or three rookies that are going to be considered viable options for your team in the immediate spots. And if you think your team is a Stanley Cup team, well, then you probably have no room for a new maybe a new rookie anyway, unless it's by injury or somebody who's going to totally wow uh, your your bench boss and your crowd and GM every single night. I don't see that happening with any of the rookies. They but have. That's why it cracks me up whenever, you know, and I, and I hated when, when an editor would assign something like this to me. But um, I hate when they do it. You see writers doing stories like here are the top 20 prospects for the team. It's like, how many of these guys really have a chance to make it to the NHL? three <laughs> four that's just filler stuff too yeah. I mean, you have like guys out there writing these articles they don't i mean the guys in like northern saskatchewan and all of a sudden you got some guy living in the delaware valley that's an expert on them all of a sudden you know i mean <laughs> i don't know how you put these people in place i you know what the one thing i think like i honestly got i and i'm not just saying this like I, even when i was doing the other the other stuff i mean to me the biggest waste of time in the year was the focus on the rookie camp i think it's a waste of money to be honest with you, let them go to their junior teams. Uh, let them figure it all out. But I, again, I don't know. I mean, you're having a, a seven day long rookie camp to me. is just an awful waste of time. If you have the, if, and if you, if there's, you think there's two or three guys that really can make it, then invite seven of what you think are your top rookies, throw them in the training camp and stop wasting everybody's time and money. Yeah. I think, I think you're right. I think that really the only benefit I could even conceive out of this is that, you, you haven't seen these re- really haven't seen your prospects play in a while, especially, you know, with the COVID situation, maybe you didn't get as many scouts out there as, as you would like, or get them to see as many games as you would like. And so maybe you just want to see where they're at physically. Right. And just kind of, you know, have you put that weight on that we need you to put on, you know, are you skating a little bit faster, a little bit, better? that might be really the only benefit I think to the team for something like this, but I don't know if you need seven days to determine that. Yeah, you, you, you really don't. And, um, 
Yeah, and I guess part of it will be to try to get them some games, some competition as well. But it's just a, it, to me, it's just a long drawn out process. It just gets in the way, really, of um, you know of what the main prize is, and that's getting to the, the veteran camp and, and getting yourself ready. Because camps, remember, you know, another thing too with the rookie camps, Anthony, you know, go back to um, uh, you know twenty five, thirty years ago. I mean, these guys it, camps would start the day after Labor Day. Mm-hmm. You know, so, and you were going until October 5th or whatever it was. So you were there for a month in training camp. Somebody actually got intelligent over the years and they cut the the training camps down to like 17 days where you're still piling in eight or nine games. Of course, nobody was that smart to actually maybe take a game or two (laughs) off, you know, because boy, we sure need that preseason money. But uh, no, I mean, that, that's just what it is. You know, it's yeah. a, a training camp is just a, is a real pain in the butt. But then again, you look at the NFL right now, they play like 17 games. They're playing, they were playing a quarter of an entire season of preseason games at one point too. So yeah, uh, it's just different ways of looking at it for me. But what do you, I mean, what do you think? You, do you, you know, you, you've covered the media too for years. Did you like it better coming in, covering a month of complete waste of time stuff? I, I hated it. I absolutely hated oh. it. It was awful because I felt like we were all asking the same stupid questions and getting the same stupid answers and really didn't get, I mean, really didn't get anything of value other than maybe, like I said, there might be somebody towards the bottom of the roster who maybe sneaks in and gets, steals the last forward spot or steals the last defensive spot or the seventh defenseman, whatever the case might be. Um, And and then the only other thing would be, hey, we got to go over there and make sure nobody gets hurt. (laughs) Right. I mean, that's the only other bit of news. Otherwise, what good is it? It's the same thing. Like I, I used to hate before I, I did hockey. I used to hate going to football training camp because it was the same concept. Like you got 90 people out here. They know who 45 to 50 of their players are going to be. It's just a matter of those last few guys, you know, who are going to s- sneak on and get uh, special team spots. Like it, it was just, it was just frustrating to have to be there every day, but that's what the job required. So we did. And so, yes, if it's up to me, we don't really do anything until the season starts because otherwise there's nothing, nothing of real value. You know, it's interesting to me too, Anthony, and <clears throat> I don't know what you thought of this, but it's something that actually kind of crossed my mind just thinking the other day of the Stanley cup. I mean, it was just a couple months ago that the lightning had won the cup. Yeah. Right. Like it wasn't that long ago. Um, I thought this was a good opportunity. So here's what I was just thinking. This is just going off the cuff a little bit about training camp and time yeah. because we're talking about it. Why didn't the NHL not start the season around Thanksgiving this year? I don't know. I mean, whose dumb idea was this? They still could have played 82 games. I think that they were worried about the Olympics. That's the only thing. Okay. Okay. Uh, uh, that's, a, that, that's a fair answer. But my, my, my question is, is that because of COVID, right, that a lot of the scheduling had been changed. Yeah. And I'll be honest with you. I didn't have a problem last summer with, with uh, the playoffs starting like the way they did under strange circumstances but this year like i was thinking if you started it closer to the american thanksgiving you take the first eight weeks or seven or eight weeks of football out of the picture of the nfl and college and then you're getting people to get whatever you know hype they have for that sport which rules the roost in the country it does at this time of year and then allow hockey to kind of come in at a uh, you know a little past basketball if that's what the, when they were starting. I just thought it was an interesting. I, I would have thought it worked out because I had no problem going an extended month and maybe crunching a game in. But your Olympic comment, but that's what it is. Sure. It's, yeah, but even even that. I mean, it's funny. You know, I, I find it amazing that you know Tampa has done what it's done what it's done to win the cup twice in uh, considering the circumstances and to be a heavy favorite to go back again 
I mean, by the time we get to the start of training camp in a couple weeks, we will only they will have won two Stanley Cups within a calendar year because they, they won the first one in September, late September 2020. And then the second one in July of 2021. And we'll be a week out from the start of a third season. And here's a team that's going on two Stanley Cup runs. How can they have their legs left to start a season the beginning of October? Right. And yet they're considered one of the favorites. Yeah. And mentally, I mean, it's going to, you're going to have a, I don't know if I won two straight Stanley cups back in, uh, back in the day, <laughs> it would have been a pretty tough one to get me out on the track that summer, especially after number two. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> so. I, I hear you. I yeah. hear you. Uh, well, they're trying to do something, you know, that hasn't been done since the, uh, since the Islanders. Right. I mean, that was the last time in the, in the, uh, in the mid eighties. They never won. No, they never won three in a row. They won they? four in a row. They won four. 80, four row, right, right. Yeah. They won four in a row. Yeah, the only teams that won four in a row were Montreal and Islanders and the Islanders in the post expansion. Yes. Right. Because Edmonton, Edmonton won four out of five, but they were yeah, but one like, year they, in between. They won when Gretzky left, but Messier was by himself there. Yeah. So they went three, lose, and then win another one. Well, they won, no, they won two. Two lost, one, two. Two lost, one, two, and then lost again, and then won one. another one. So they, they won four and five in seven years, four and five. I think yeah, it was yeah, the yeah. last one against Boston. Yeah. 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 Um, so yeah, so I mean, you know, Tampa's you know Tampa's motivated in that regard to try and do something that hasn't been done, especially in a salary. It has never, you know, not even been really broached in the salary cap world, right? Right. Um, so that would be that would be something that would be kind of unique as well. Um, so so then we get to uh, you know we're going to get to training camp in, in a couple weeks. Um, uh, you know, when you're a veteran, when you're a veteran, what, what's the difference? I mean, you've been in the situation in both in both regards. When you're a returning player coming back to a team, obviously, you know, it's just a matter of getting yourself in shape and getting ready to go. But when you've had the kind of turnover that this team's had this year, is there is there a lot more that has to be focused on on, on getting a cohesiveness in camp or does that not really happen until once the season starts? No, that'll be the <clears throat> that'll be the focus with AV and his coaching staff right away will be to try to bring those players in and integrate them. They, I, I mean, they have some veterans, a lot of veterans that came with that. So there's going to be guys that uh, – you know, like a, like an Ellis uh, or Yandel, those guys should be pretty easy plug and play type players. Uh, but again, I, you know, I do, I'm worried about the chemistry with the top pair. Again, you got to find that chemistry that, that just because you bring Allison doesn't mean he's a perfect fit with Provorov. It doesn't, it doesn't mean anything, you know, yeah. it, it's a chemistry it's, you know, and, and, and so, you know, they have to figure that out and they're going to force that chemistry on them no matter what. Uh, that's a hundred percent guarantee, but then you got other guys that'll come in like, you know, um, Ristolainen will come in and, and try to find his spot. They'll try to coach him from the mistakes that they probably seen that he made in Buffalo. Um, Atkinson should be, you know, he, she, it's a good, I like having a winger coming in like that because they're usually a lot easier to deal with than a center who has mm-hmm. a lot more responsibility, but you know, I, I think that they'll be okay, but that will be, that will be the head coaches, whether it's, you know, whether it happens or not, that'll be his main mission. I would think Anthony will be to try to bring blend this together and build the chemistry as quick as they can. Um, that that'll be a challenge. They brought in a lot of there. They brought in a lot of pieces that, uh, you know, are, are defining pieces that are going to take someone else's minutes that right. had them last year. So there's going to be a lot of, a lot of different things that they have to adjust to. And, uh, and I can assure you right now, it's not always a smooth, tra- a smooth transition. Everyone will want it to be, Everyone will say, hey, you know, we're all in this together, you know, one for all and all for one. But 
again, until you get into the season and, and you really start to peel back the layers of that, you won't, I don't think you really know till about a month into the regular season. I, I, I'm glad you brought up the um, uncertainty with the chemistry for the top pair, because I found it interesting when they made the trade for Ellis and Chuck Fletcher had his press conference. I thought it was interesting when he talked about bringing Ellis in and he said, um, you know, he'll, he'll be a nice fit uh, as a partner for uh, Provorov or Sanheim. And the fact, I think it kind of got overlooked a little bit that he threw Sanheim's name in there. Like, do you think that there's a possibility that, I mean, I know that they're going to start, probably start right away, Ellis Provorov. That's going to be your top pair, right? I mean, they're going to they're try and make that work. But do you think that in the back of their mind, they're sitting there saying, maybe that's not the best combination and it may be Sanheim and Ellis might be a better pairing at some point here in the, you know, maybe part of the season you get like through a few weeks and then all of a sudden you see a change up the, up at the top there. It's a great point by you. And we'll have to see how it goes. If that chemistry goes well, I mean, listen, Provorov when he had a partner, that was a, a guy that elevated his game. He's played very well. Of course, I'm talking about Niskanen mm-hmm. uh, Provorov to me on his own still is, you know, an unknown quantity in a mm-hmm. lot of ways. I don't know. I mean, if you take what he does and you just turn the sound off on an actual Flyers broadcast where you're not being told he's Ray Bork or Bobby Orr, <laughs> then I think you can actually see him for what he is. I really believe that. Is he a good player? Of course, he's a really good hockey player. Really good. But there's a difference between being a really good defenseman and player on your team and being the, the guy. Mm-hmm. I mean, Nicholas Lidstrom was the guy. Duncan Keith was the guy these teams won multiple Stanley cups with players like that, you know? Mm -hmm. Um, So again, I don't think he's a number one guy. I've said that before. Uh, I also don't, and and whether Sandheim might have the skills to to be that kind of a guy in skating, he hasn't put it, he hasn't done it mentally yet. Right. I mean, there's a, so being in the top pair guys, not just being adequate passer, uh, good defender. um, It's being reliable most every night. You know, to know that you're not going to make a dumb play in front of your net or you're just going to go, you know, your game's going up, 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 and boom, goes down and it stays down for five or six games. That can't happen with, I think, anybody in your top four anymore. And that's going to be for Sandheim this year. Uh, if he wants to play with a guy, you know, a, a better player like Ellis, a guy who's more seasoned, he's going to have to earn that spot. And the reason I say that is I was in the same predicament with Desjardins. Like, I, you know, I remember Terry Murray said, if you want to play with Desjardins, you've got to earn your right to go play with him. Like, you can't just go play with Desjardins. You have to be able to go play with a guy like that. Right. And so, and, and part of that was figuring out to be consistent. You can't, you can't make that guy cover up all your mistakes and expect to be his partner for long. You have to do half the work as well. Right. Knowing that, you know, you're the Robin to the Batman. And that's fine. Right. Because you work as a team together. Nobody cares. We didn't care at the end of the night what happened as long as our team won. And we did the best job we could on the opponent. I just don't know if Sanheim is there yet. Provorov maybe defensively, but I, I, again, I don't see the other end of the ice elevating him to where you could say he's a number one D man. He's not. So, so, I, so I have a question about Sanheim. Do you see, did you notice a difference with him when he played apart from Phil Myers that makes the, makes the flyers think that they're, that he does have that next level in him or, or, was he just as egregious in his mistakes that as Myers was on his on his side? 
Wet Myers made some filthy mistakes. Yes, I know. Yeah. Yeah, I mean, some, some stuff that was like, oh, my God. Uh, you wondered, like, where guys – that's why I say, like, that's a great job getting rid of him for Ellis, putting him in that trade with Patrick. Because yeah. I don't think – I think they'll figure out real quick what we saw last year. I don't think he's able, capable of making smart plays on a regular basis with the puck. Right. I, I, I think Sandheim got caught in that as well. I, you know what's funny, Anthony? Like, I paired the two of them together last year. Mm-hmm. You know, when I looked at each one, I'm like, oh, it's, they're kind of the same. But I do think at the end of the day, if you had to get rid of one of them, someone said, you need to get rid of one of the two of them, Chuck. You have no choice. He got rid of the right guy. Okay. And gave yeah. the right guy the, 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 the chance again. But if he, you know, if Sandheim, if he, but if he's not, you know, if he's not up to snuff by, say, you know, January uh, of this year, he's in it being his, you know, plenty of time in the league now to find out who he is. Uh, then they're going to have some questions about that, and they're going to have to figure that out as well. I'm, I'm hoping it doesn't happen because, uh, you know, he's too good a skater. Um, you don't want to have a guy that has uh, all the tools and no toolbox. And uh, that's, I think, what they were probably looking at a little bit with Myers, and I hope that that's not the case with Travis. Yeah, and, and it makes me wonder when, it, when you look at where things are with the depth chart. Um, you know, if, if Yandel comes in and, and does a, a nice job and, you know, he is a, a, a veteran third pair guy and there's some good chemistry with Justin Braun and they have success together and, and Sanheim continues to struggle. Is it a possibility then that when you bring in Cam York after his stint in the AHL, which I think is going to happen, he's going to probably start the year in the AHL. Um, might it not be for uh, to be the guy that replaces a guy like Sanheim or fills in for a guy like Sanheim in the roster rather than coming in on the third pair and replacing a Keith Yandel if Yandel's playing well? Yeah, I mean, the, the one thing with Yandel is, you know, as a, as a third pair guy, he'll be on the power play a lot. Yeah. You know, I've seen him a lot over his years in, his, in the D zone. I mean, he's not the most committed guy. Yeah. Um, <laughs> He's just not. Yeah. I mean, he's, not a defense. he's an offensive defenseman. So, you know, I think that's one of the things. I want to see when these guys at least come in. I know I mentioned him earlier, but a guy like Duncan Keith, like Duncan Keith was a good puck mover and, you know, of course, an excellent player. But he did a he did just enough really well in his own zone that made him a very efficient player as well. And I think that's what I want to see from like a guy like Yandel, York. Uh, do I see – could I see someone getting pulled out? I don't think they really want to pull a Sandheim out of the lineup. But again, if he if he's not responding in the way, I mean, that's sometimes the only way to get a guy's ear is to, to figure out if you, if he can't. I remember Bob Clark used to say that, uh, told a couple of guys once how he, how he judged a player. He would challenge a guy during the course of, of a year. And um, if the player answered the bell, he knew that he had something on his hands, that that was a guy that he could trust. Right. And if he told a guy like more than once, twice, that we need you to be better. And that guy just couldn't answer it. That's how we knew it was probably time for that guy that to, to move on and get some wheels on his house. I, I found it interesting because seriously, I mean, it shows your level of care. It shows your level of fear in a lot of ways. Like, I mean, when I got benched my third year, which I've, I've told the story, we'll tell it again this year, but it changed my career. It trained, changed everything for me because I, I, I was terrified that I was going to be out of the league. It was my last year of a contract. But it also opened my eyes to say, hey, I can be a better player. Like, they see something in me that maybe I didn't. And that's what good coaching is, right? That's what good coaching is, is to try to pull the most out of a player. And with Terry Murray that year, you know, I elevated my game. And I'm just using me as an example. You know, other, it's happened to many players over the years. It's also happened where guys went the other way also. Right. Um, so it's a character check. It's a gut check. And I think that if you are a player that's going to go one way or another, 
Like you're there and you're, you can go up or you can go down. I think it's a great measuring stick, not just to find out who you are, but it's a great measuring stick to find out about what life might be like for you as well. Yeah, I mean, those two guys, we, I mean, obviously we're concentrating a lot here on Prove Rob and Sanheim. Um, I mean, they're, they've both been around for a while now, but in, in reality, they're both still relatively young players. Um, th- that said, is it a possibility that, you know, even after they've been in the league as long as they have, that they still are not 100% sure what their individual role is at the NHL level? Because sometimes, you know, obviously it takes guys a while to realize, okay, this is what I used to be. And then you get to this level, you have to be, you may have to be something else. Is it possible that when you're, or because they've been in the league long enough now, they should know at this point, even if they are still 24 years old? Yeah, that's a great question, Anthony, and a great discussion point. And again, you know, I don't know. You know, from when you listen to Ivan talk about his game, he clearly thinks he's a number one lead guy. Yeah. Uh, he does. I mean, he wants to, oh, I can play 30 minutes a night. Okay, that's great and everything. Everyone wants to play 30 minutes a night. But, you know, I think that they might be better suited moving his game down to like 22, 21 minutes a night and yeah. seeing what, how effective he becomes at that. There's a big difference. I'm telling you, it's amazing. People say, how could it be? There's a huge difference between playing 20 minutes a night and playing 25 minutes a night. It's unbelievable, the difference. The little bit of energy that comes out of it, uh, the extra five minutes of plays when you're on the ice that maybe you make a, a mistake on because of the fatigue level. Um, so, again, I, don't, I, I think that if anybody really wants to find out who he is as a player, it's probably him. I think he knows as little of about himself as a player than anyone else on this roster right now. Yeah. Well, I think one of the things, it's funny you mentioned that. I think that he's going to see a little bit less time because I don't think he's going to play that power play yeah. as much as he has in the past. I yeah. mean, with, with Gandel here and Ellis here, and I mean, even Ristolainen's played the power play uh, in the past, you know, and I, I just don't think, I don't think you're going to see as much Provy on the power play. And so maybe that that's good for him. Maybe he concentrates just on five on five and a little bit of penalty kill and it's, and it's all the better. Yeah, I, I, I totally agree. I mean, if you can, you know, first of all, I didn't love him on the power play. Yeah. I think he bumbles the puck a lot uh, at the blue line when he when he does have it. And I'll be honest with you. I mean, if, if you can round him in the form as a great five-on-five player, outstanding penalty killer that doesn't even have to think about the power play sometimes, I think that that might be the job for him. He can still be a top player. Right. Not play on the power play. I didn't play a power play. I mean, they did everything they could to not even give me three seconds at the end of a power play. <laughs> so, like, Sorry. I didn't, it, I, you know, I mean, that's the way it goes sometimes, yeah. but you know, um, yeah, I'm actually serious about that. <laughs> I can just picture it now. I can just picture like hitch holding you, hitch holding you back. So you wouldn't, wouldn't go hey, out there. Much, how much time's left on that power play? About four <laughs> seconds. Make sure Bungie doesn't get any of that time. <laughs> That's great. That's great. So another in, in another bit of news. Um, obviously, we're going we're gonna to talk a little bit about the Flyers put out their finalists for the uh, uh, Flyers Hall of Fame, and there's going to be a vote uh, a vote taken here uh, in a little bit. And it's going to they're going to announce you know who's going to go in and who's going to be inducted this year. But in the in the process of that whole thing happening, one of the finalists is uh, Paul Holmgren. He was named to the U.S. Hockey. Hall of Fame. Um, I don't know if that was yesterday. I guess it was that he was named to the U.S. Hockey Hall of Fame. Um, we're recording this on Friday. So that was Thursday the 9th. Um, great honor for a guy who who probably, you know, it's been a long time coming because it wasn't just that he was a, a good American player, but he was or, or a coach who had some some success. But, you know, he had success as a GM as well. But he also people sometimes forget 
his involvement with USA hockey and how important he's been to, to the, uh, to growing the American game. He has been really one of the true great uh, Patriots of American hockey and has been around the league uh, for so long, so well-respected. You know, I think the thing with him, Anthony, is his demeanor is just so calm and even keel that, you know, he doesn't make a splash about himself. Right. So nobody, you know, talks about him in, you know, glorifying fashion, like say a John Tortorella uh, or somebody else with more color. He doesn't care. He's a hockey lifer, uh, loves the game, good talent evaluator, but he's also done a lot. He's been, uh, you know, as a, as a, administrator for USA hockey, picking Olympic teams, uh, you know, world cup, it'd be involved just about every single faction of USA hockey, but he's a well-deserved flyer uh, nominee. I'm going to be honest with you. I think he should be the guy to go in out of the, all the six nominees. We could talk about him. Yeah. Uh, I think Paul should go in before anybody Term, lifetime of service to this organization as a coach, uh, general manager, a player, uh, president. And just, uh, president. Yeah. And, you know what? And a guy who's been very, very good to a lot of the players as well over the years. And uh, so, you know, I, I mean, I have a personal relationship with Paul. He's been, he's been a tremendous person to me over the years, uh, helped me a lot and things that I needed uh, to get through on my own, but uh, so well-deserved to be honest with you. The fact that he, I actually sent a letter to the, then uh, it was an email to then maybe Peter Luca or Sean, Sean uh, Tilger, who were running the flyers for many, many years. And I, I actually said to them like maybe eight years ago, you know what, if anybody deserves to go in, it's probably Paul Holmgren. That was eight years ago. Right. Uh, and, and so, you know, here, here we are now. So I, I hope he's the guy uh, there's all, of course, on that list, uh, Anthony, there's a lot of good names on it. Um, you know, and I, I've read a little bit of the buzz Lou Nolan's on there, Bob Kelly, but it's actually like, so let's, let me just say this. And again, it's, it's not a, a, slighted anybody why don't they just put both stanley cup teams just put them right in yeah right like right. I mean, bob kelly i would have thought bob was already in like i know scored a game winner uh i mean if, if is are we just because what i'm saying is if we're just getting to the point where uh we're gonna start ticking off everybody that was on those teams just put the team in mm-hmm. just put both teams in and then have every player as a member of the flyers hall of fame they're the last team to have won a stanley cup for this city uh, they've been, even though they say they want out of the spotlight, they're in the spotlight every single year as the team, last flyer team to win the Stanley cup. So I just say induct those guys. Lou Nolan's a really good one. I mean, it's, you know, I mean, he's been around forever. He's Since a legend, the beginning. So he, but he's only done half the games, right? <laughs> yeah. Somebody, he did. It's a, it's a fair yeah. point. Yeah. He's only involved in half the flyer games. Right. Okay. Uh, all right. Well, that's, you're going to argue the other side of it. Yeah. Um, and then uh, Rex uh, and talk, I mean, whether it's this year or next year or Gagne, they'll go in eventually. And, and right. so those are no brainers, but I, I like the off the, the cuff ones. Nobody's really sure who put this, you know, the committee was involved in this. Like, I know. I hope it wasn't the new corporate people doing it because I don't, I mean, they they have no clue about the history of this team or even the sports fabric of the city of Philadelphia. So I hope they're not involved in picking it, but they probably are. Yeah. Well, it was, it was said in the press release that there was going to be a committee of broadcasters, members of the uh, professional hockey writers association, uh, team uh, representatives, uh, former hall of famers as well, that were going to be voting on this. Look, I don't know what the plan is. I'm a member of the Professional Hockey Writers Association. I've been around covering the team for over 20 years now. I have not heard one iota. Uh, so if the plan is is that we're all going to get to vote, maybe they'll send it out to all of us. But 
I don't, I'm not convinced that that's the case. You know, I know Bill Meltzer put out that he was part of the nominating committee and he's part of the electing committee. So I don't know if it's a pre-planned group I, or not. I, asked, I don't know how it was picked. I asked a couple of people yesterday. Yeah. Pretty close to the team. What the deal was. And they really didn't know. Yeah, that's what I'm saying. So that's what I'm wondering. Let me tell you a little something I know, okay, here, Anthony. Yeah, go ahead. It's a little, little trick I picked up over the years about these little uh, Hall of Fame nights, the little team, like little nights. They're going to put in whoever they think is going to get the biggest draw that night on the ticket bill. That's it. It doesn't matter who it is. They could put in – if they could put Gritty in, I'm serious, they'd put him in <laughs> if they thought they'd sell the stadium out. Yeah, I agree. They're, it's bottom line – that's it. And I'd be really shocked to see if there's anybody really qualified that's actually making the final decision on this. Right. I hope they are, but I doubt it seriously. Yeah. Well, yeah, and that's why I think like when you look at this list and you look at a guy like, for example, like Lou Nolan, um, I, you know, I get it. I understand why they want to, they would want to put him in. I mean, the Sixers put Dave Zinkoff in back in the eighties. He was the same guy as Lou as the PA announcer. So I get it. But like Lou Nolan by himself, there won't be like fans aren't going to come out for Lou Nolan Hall of Fame induction night, right? But if you put Lou Nolan in with Simone Gagne or with Rick Tockett or with Paul Holmgren, then I think you know oh, that's a nice little addition. You know, Lou gets his credit, but at the same time, he's not doesn't have to be the draw on the ticket, right? So I think that that's why they're saying they're willing to make it multiple people and not just one person. Yeah, but Anthony. There's six people on that ballot. That means that there could be a possible six big nights. Why <laughs> do three when you can do six? Exactly. That's what. That's why I'm worried that the people that are making these calls are. are, are I hope they're doing it right. But Lou Nolan, Lou Nolan's an icon in his own right. Yeah. I don't need to say that he's only been. Lou Nolan's a legend in this town. Yeah. Yes. And everybody knows it. But I'm just saying, some guy said he's only been involved in half the games in the franchise history. So that's actually true. You know, if I only played only home games and, uh, you know, like then that would be kind of, that would be interesting, but, right. but he's iconic. I just, I, I really, to me, it's Paul Holmgren. Yeah. For, for dedication, for years of service. Um, that would be my guy right now. Yeah. I, I, I guess, I, I guess that I hope that that's the case. I mean, I, cause I think that he's the most deserving of that list. Um, you know, you, you mentioned, like you said, the, the players can get in eventually, um, you know, Recky and Tockett, I mean, they won elsewhere too. I mean, people, it's funny. I, you look on Twitter and there's an argument though. And, you know, Oh, well, Mark, Rick, Mark Recky's won Stanley cups with, uh, Pittsburgh, Boston, and Carolina. He never did anything, didn't do anything here. When in actuality, he played here longer than he did in any other city. Um, but people kind of forget that because he was here mostly during an era that wasn't a great era for the team. Uh, he did come back for that Oh, four, 0304 team. Um, but at the most part, he was uh, in an era where he scored a lot of points, but the team was not very good. Uh, and and Tockett, again, he was great early here and then went elsewhere and then came back for a team that wasn't great either. So um, I think that that's why they have that kind of, well, they're, they, they were, they played here, but they're not really lifelong flyers. You know what I'm saying? I think that that's why that, that kind of gets on the back burner for them a little bit. Rex was, you know, like when I used to talk to him, I know Rex, like his Mark Recky was his favorite place to play was Philadelphia. Like he wanted to be put in the Hall of Fame as a Philadelphia Flyer. Um, but unfortunately for Philadelphia and for Rex on that part, he never won anything here, right? Right. 
Like, and he won a couple more Stanley Cups, I think, as an assistant coach with the Penguins. So I think he's got three Stanley Cups there. He's got one with Carolina, one with Boston. The guy's got, like, a, a whole house full of rings and statues and trophies and whatever else you want to put there. Right. I told if he had a statue, it would be a real small little statue, though. <laughs> if he got one of himself. You could, you could get away with that as a former team. I could get away with that, Rex. Yeah, he bust, my, he bust my, uh, my chops right back, though. But, uh, yeah, I mean, you just, you know, and same with talk, too. I mean, just, you know, incredible teammates, both guys. I love them. Even Gags, I, mean, I love all three of them. I keep I keep putting Gags at the back of the order because of those two guys is having, uh, uh, you know, just the years on, on Simone. But, you know, all three just amazing teammates. Uh, Bob Kelly, one of the truly great guys, uh, you know, off the ice now. And and Lou and Paul speak volume. So they got it. They, they have compiled a good list. I'll give them that. Uh, I just, uh, yeah, I just hope it's done uh, fairly and uh, uh, and with integrity, it, it, you know, more so than just having a, uh, a big ticket game in, in, in the, the horizon. I want it to be, you know, to done really for the people who legitimately deserve to go in. Yeah, well, hopefully we'll uh, we'll find out who their inductee or inductees. Sure let me know how are. your vote goes on that, Anthony. Yeah, I'm, I'm, I'm sure they're clamoring for my vote right now. I can, I can, I can, I can, I can. I can hear the emails dinging in right as, as, they, as we speak. Uh, well, that's going to pretty much wrap it up. We had a short episode this week, Bundy, but uh, I, can, I can tell you that I know coming forward, uh, going forward, we're going to have uh, some, we have some guests that we're trying to line up uh, for a couple of future episodes. And, uh, you know, obviously we'll, we'll be taking everybody right up into training camp, into training camp, and of course, the start of the season. We, uh, you know what, again, because of uh, his relationship uh, with all of us, you know, I asked Paul Holmgren to come on with us today. He said, Bundy, I want to, but I got to go golfing. <laughs> so I said, first things first, Homer, you get that round of golf in and I, I will catch up. I told him maybe next week. So we, there's a yeah. possibility we could have uh, Paul Holmgren on and certainly t- talking about his USA uh, yeah. uh, Hall of Fame induction. And then uh, we'll see uh, if uh, the powers that be get to the flyer stuff yet. Maybe we'll have a, a double dip to talk about. So yeah, that'd be awesome. That'd be awesome. And, and I'd love to, you know what else I'd love to hear from him. I'd love to hear his take on, uh, what Chuck did this offseason as it compared to what he had to go through following the 06 07 season after that, which was, you know, the worst year in, in Flyers history and getting a team that reached the conference final the, the following year. And he kind of really turned that over. One thing I could tell you about Paul, and I, I, I think it's he's shown it over the years, and it's a, it's be a great way to, to kind of uh, cap the show here was he always told me, he said, you know what, I'm a believer, Bundy, you have to make the big move. Mm-hmm. Uh, you make the big move for your players, but you make the big move for the fans also. And, and I think Chuck kind of kind of did that this summer. It was an exciting summer for the Flyers family. And, uh, and, and I'm actually, you know, I have a lot of good hope for the year on it. But that was Paul Holmgren's uh, adage about being a GM. Make the big move when it's needed and don't be afraid to do it. And by all accounts, Chuck did just that. That's awesome. That's awesome. Well, guys, we appreciate you uh, listening in. As always, uh, I'm not going to do the whole spiel that Russ usually does. Russ usually does. You know where to find. I'm going to fill in for you there. I'm going to. Yeah. Go. <laughs> <laughs> you, you guys know where to find the podcast. Uh, you know, you can follow us on Twitter, and and uh, we we always link, uh, tie, you know, put it out there, and we put it on Facebook and YouTube and all that good stuff. So, uh, we appreciate you always chiming in and then listening into the show. Uh, so for for Chris Tarian, I'm Anthony Sanfilippo. We'll see you on the next episode of Snow the Goalie.